Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Undoubtedly, over the course of my career professionally, there has clearly been a lot of people who have had a difficult time imagining what it's like, as they put it, to listen to all of these things that people share with you about their hurt and their pain and the psychological turmoil and the angst and all the tragedy and the trauma and the loss. And how do you do this? I bet by the end of the day, you're exhausted, worn out. And to some extent, I get that because by the end of the day, I am exhausted and somewhat worn out. However, even in exhaustion and being somewhat worn out, there is an energy that comes from that connection and helping individuals work through all of those things and even more that really then makes the difference between being exhausted and worn out from going through or in a relatable sort of manner or fashion experiencing what somebody has brought to you, the burden of all of the pain and the grief and the suffering and the hurt and the harm. And then somebody who just does it sociopathically in some sort of a way that then disconnects or turns off that relatability. I don't know that empathy is my salvation, but I do believe that empathy is not my curse. And it could be, not that I would bear maybe the same degree of emotional discomfort or burden if I was absent a conscience, But absent empathy, I'm not sure I could do this without risk, great risk, of being so disconnected from the very things that represent life, love itself, (laughs) that I'd surely either be dead or wish I were dead. Maybe somebody would kill me along the way. Psychology Today, September, October of 2023. And the article, The Mind of a Hero, What Lays the Groundwork for Acts of Selfless Altruism? Written by Stephen Taylor, Ph.D. In 2017, my home city in Manchester, England, suffered a terrorist attack. A suicide bomber detonated a homemade bomb in the foyer of an arena after an Ariana Grande concert. 23 people were killed and over 1,000 were injured, most of them teenagers and children. The attack was a tragic reminder of the brutality and destruction that emerged from the worst aspects of human nature. However, there was another side that illustrates its best aspects. A report on the attack by Lord Bob Kerslake commissioned by the mayor of Manchester, 
noted hundreds if not thousands of acts of individual bravery bravery and selflessness. More specifically, the report described the heroic actions of some members of the public involved in the widespread provision of first aid and reassurance to the casualties as well as assisting in the portage of those casualties. The public worked with law enforcement to carry away injured people on metal railings. Stewards formed a human wall to stop people from going toward the smoke. A man named Stephen Jones was sleeping on the street near the venue and rushed in to help. He found many children covered in blood, screaming and crying. He and a friend pulled nails out of the children's arms and in one case out of the child's or out of a child's face and helped a severely bleeding woman by holding her legs in the air. Jones recalled, it was my instinct to help. A paramedic named Dan Smith, who was at the scene, commented, there were an unbelievable number of people doing what they could do or what they could to help. I saw people pulling together in a way I've never seen before. The thing I will remember more than any other is the humanity on display. The danger of death. Acts of heroic altruism are almost always a feature of crises or crisis and emergency situation. Or situations. When a person's life is endangered, it is common for witnesses or bystanders to act impulsively to try to save them, even if it involves risks to their own life. This applies to small-scale individual incidents, such as attempting to rescue someone from drowning or jumping down from a train platform to save a person who has fallen on the tracks or onto the track. And major disasters like earthquakes and airplane crashes. Such examples contradict the theory of the bystander effect, which suggests that people are reluctant to help in the presence of other bystanders. This theory has been largely discredited in recent years. One might expect such acts of heroic altruism to become less frequent as personal risk increases. But this is not the case. In terrorist attacks, there are almost always reports of heroic altruism, despite the acute life-threatening danger. The Paris terrorist terrorist attacks of November 2015 featured several incidences of altruistic heroism. At the Bataclan Hall, where 89 people were killed, A security guard named D.D. risked his life to guide an estimated 400 to 500 people to safety, walking them back and forth through emergency exits to a nearby student's residence hall. A pregnant woman he escorted to safety said in a radio report that she saw the worst in people as well as the best in people and that her life will never be long enough to thank him for what he did. Tragically, a man did lose his life, Ludovico Bombas. He was eating at La Belle Equipped Bar in Paris when terrorists began shooting at the terrace. 
Rather than ducking for cover when he saw a gunman aiming at a woman nearby, he impulsively dived in front of her, sacrificing his life for hers. Extreme altruism explained. It is significant that the above acts of altruism altruism were impulsive. They occurred on the spur of the moment without any conscious deliberation. In a series of studies led by psychologist David Rand, a strong correlation has been established between impulsivity and altruism. The less time there is to deliberate, the more likely one is to behave altruistically. A 2020 paper also concluded that heroic altruism is intuitive rather than the result of reflection. This suggests that altruism is innate to human beings. Altruism arises from interconnection. There is a sense in which human beings are not separate entities. We can enter one another's mental space and share one another's experiences. We can empathize with one another and empathy gives rise to altruism. As the altruism empathy hypothesis developed by Daniel Batson suggests, altruism may sometimes have selfish motives or bring some beneficial after effects. But pure altruism also arises from the human capacity for empathy. Our ability to sense the suffering of others gives rise to an impulse to alleviate that suffering. In a 2019 study that appeared in the Journal of Humanistic Psychology, the authors noted that one of the main characteristics of heroes is an expansive sense of empathy, not simply with those who might be considered like them, but also those who might be thought of as other. Terrorism and acts of random violence arise from disconnection. The ideological abstraction that divorces adherents from the reality and value of other human beings. In contrast, heroic altruism arises from a fundamental connection between us, which enables empathy and triggers an impulse to save the lives of others. Again, the article in September-October 2023, Psychology Today the mind of a hero, what lays the groundwork for acts of selfless altruism by Steve Taylor, Ph.D., a senior lecturer at Leeds Beckett University. Now, I'd love to take credit for being brave and courageous. I'd love to take credit, too, for doing everything that I do in psychological counseling from a motive of genuine, sincere, authentic empathy and perspective-taking. And for the most part, I think that's probably, at least a portion of that, would be probably what leads most individuals into the line of work of psychological counseling that I perform or that my profession encompasses. I would want to hope as well that most people don't get into that business simply for the sake of profiteering or money uh, in that way of profiteering. And there's really not a lot of it to be had. (laughs) 
I might add. And with that, there could be motives of control and manipulation. Uh, Some individuals seem to, in a sociopathic sort of dimension, in a predatory sort of dimension, in abusive sort of dimension, also be attracted to the field where there is then the vulnerability that goes along with the psychological counseling circumstance. Of course, ethically speaking, no one should be licensed to do any of that type of work, this type of work, the psychological counseling, without then also demonstrating themselves willing to adhere to, if not then in compassion, perspective-taking terms, which it should always be, at least ethically, bound to not profiteer, not garner some secondary gain or have a conflict of interest between what is best for themselves versus at the exploit of their patient. But that's not always such a fine line to distinguish or differentiate. And with that, that's why there are ethical considerations that are part of one's licensure to perform such psychotherapy, psychological counseling services. But it's also why at the end of the day, though I'm not a hero, I don't feel so exploited myself. As the article put it, I don't lose my connection or feeling of disconnection from people because it is the very stuff of which that connects me. We've always historically called that unconditional positive regard, empathy, perspective taking. And to some extent, you could see it as not only altruism, but unconditional regard being unconditional love. Not necessarily simply for the personification or the individual or all of those things that might serve up as opportunity to disconnect or that might make it hard to relate, cultural aspects included. But at the same time, though, I would hope most of us have not lost our ability to love one another. We are pro-social creatures. I would also like to believe whether you call it unconditional love Or maybe it's a little bit of a lesser variant, a variation of love. Maybe there's conditions, maybe it's more transactional reciprocity, but certainly not sociopathic. (laughs) Not to the extent or extreme exploitation of other individuals. So much so that even as we might then relate, (laughs) and I do get a lot of chance to think about and reflect on the intentions, mine, my personal intentions, that not only have led me to do this in a professional dimension (laughs) for the sake of then my livelihood, not only monetarily, but also in some ways psychologically, and I would include spiritually. But I also don't mind the personification if what that means is, though, that I'm also doing it on an individual basis. Whether there's many or a few, whether there is 
corporately a group or whether there is a family, a little lesser number, or a couple, or just an individual. That empathy and perspective taking, that exchange at that level makes it the best that it can be. But it also is the same as stuff because I do appreciate the element of exploitation. And I don't see it in such the personal or individual dimension or see it in such the way that it's simply reciprocity or transaction. I don't want to be your friend. I want to be more than your friend. I don't know that I want to hold myself out again as some great hero type. But I want to do this out of the truest spirit of we are all one in that sense of our humanity and then see that also within the dimension of the best that we could be as pro-social creatures. I want to help other people out of the highest virtue or purest motive that is known. I think, to any of us, I think whether it's altruism or unconditional love, genuine positive regard, with empathy and perspective taking, that's the only way you avoid then the element of power differentials, terrorism even, as then would come with disconnect. I understand that we have to communicate that at times in lesser dimensions, but no greater gain or advantage to living life than would be to share the very stuff that makes life worth living. (laughs) And should there be an answer to life's dilemmas and circumstances, they will always include transactional sort of elements or aspects, reciprocity included, Everybody needs to get along. We have to accept diversity, the differences in personality. But I don't know that that is possible except that we would in some more than just theoretical or ethical, with ethical considerations, separating ourselves first by those more superficial personification sort of directed Dimensions, but by leading first and foremost, it does not matter where we're from. It does not, to some extent, really matter so much what culturalization or aculturalization we've experienced. What matters the most is I am talking to a living, breathing human being. And with that, they are due respect, if only because I too am one. And in that same sort of a way, I can relate entirely to the human experience universally if I lead with that. (laughs) That's the impulse, as the article called called it, or brought our attention or awareness to it. That is the impulse I lead with. Am I trained? Yes, because when I do get tired 
I start thinking about food. When I do get tired, I start thinking about my comfortable chair at home. When I do get tired, I start thinking about, oh, maybe I want to go away. Or when I hear of such the tragedies, the harm that people can commit in terroristic sort of ways. Taking advantage of, exploiting, abusing, treating people in that terroristic way as an object for their own selfish ideological gratification. I am insulted and offended by that, but it's empowering to me because I am not alone. And where there is numbers, especially on this dimension, then that power has to be somewhat exponential. Humanistic, existential sort of theories have always captured that. They've always had that spiritual element or dimension, and that's why I said that earlier. I think it is a spiritual thing as much as it is a measurable, tangible, studied sort of thing. To love somebody, or at least if you don't like them, use the word love, then to at least acknowledge altruism as the highest standard of relationship. But it's more than just behaviors. It's more than thoughts. It is instinctually the desire to save each other. And though I know that, again, may sound like it feeds into the narcissistic, the hero, heroic, and I do believe the article captured that a bit. There are some that do that in that, even that sort of selfish way. I'm going to save the world campaign. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about the simple fact that I'd want somebody to help me as much as I don't want to help somebody else. If what it means is that not only is love not compromised or degraded, that we don't treat each other as objects, but that maybe that is our only salvation, is a willingness to genuinely care more about other people and their needs than about ourselves, but at the same time, recognizing the closer we come to the universal aspects of what makes us pro-social creatures innately, inherently concerned for one another, then maybe that is empowering, not only for the masses, (laughs) there's power in those numbers, but maybe the exponential piece is that if we can align at the end of it all in that way, on that level, within that continuum, or along that continuum, then maybe when the day is all said and done, yes, there'll be some fatigue, but in the end, isn't that what altruism is all about? Dying to selfish desires so that others might live. But it never requires your life so imminently or directly in proportion because sometimes it does. These were all examples in the article of where it did. But at the same time, though, most of us aren't required to exchange our life for another's. But it means, though, if we start thinking too much about that, we're moving away from the very power that that represents 
to overcome selfishness and not resort to terrorism, to control, to the sociopathic dimensions I mentioned a few moments ago. And I would like to believe, too, that in that, I'm learning not only to love you, to care for you in the highest order of ways, not with any consideration for me or exploiting you to my advantage, but I'm helping contribute to changing our society and that in the end it'll help me probably to love me better if only for the sake of introspection and an awareness. Yes! Yes! It's encouraging. It's in me to help other people. It's in me to help them overcome struggles that at the moment they're in, they can't. That's why at the end of the day, although a lot of persons have concern for me, and I honor that. And they ask me that question. Of course, when they're coming in, they're coming in in a position of need. They see me as having resource, something to offer. I don't mind that. I, set, I agree to be set up that way. I would set myself up that way. But at the same time, though, once they've received, they take that with them and do the same thing with others. It's not unique to psychological counseling. It's just that we do that better in the situation of psychological counseling, psychotherapy, with its structure, with its ethical considerations, with the licensure, the sanctioning that licensure provides, the vetting that that should assure a patient who comes in to receive such help, that it's going to be done with at least an intention of the highest order of helping, assisting, giving, then maybe it is definitely is something that's a little bit more secured. You don't know when you're going to run into a terrorist or when a terrorist is going to strike. That's part of the terrorism. But it doesn't have to be bullets and it doesn't have to be guns. It can be just be bullies. You may be living with a meanie, a bully in your home. You may be in a relationship where you're being exploited, where it's one-sided. You may need to come in because you've then become somewhat or have become somewhat brainwashed. Your experiences have changed your belief system such that you're almost at a point within that sort of state of burnout, if not cynical, if not even somewhat fatalistic to giving up on relationships and should we call it loving relationships or we call them altruistic relationships you may need a hero but it's not me professing myself to be one any more than me looking back at you and saying okay now that you've received it go share it with the world and in that way it's okay to say this is great there's a reason for this bigger and better than me I'm living for something grander than myself. And even my, at that point, somewhat in ratio, again, proportion lesser of needs. Now, would I lay down my life for another? I would want to. The article seems to suggest the less I think about it, the more I act on that impulse, that nature 
to love, the easier it would be then to do that. But whether I'm going to give much thought to it, I might have to fortify myself a bit more, I may have to strengthen myself a bit more, I make sure that I build that virtue back up by being in loving relationships with others who can give to me such that I'm giving to you. <laughs> roles kind of end up moving, changing from one side to the other, so to speak. But I hope we could, could, could sustain that. And then in the end, I'd like to believe that nature will prevail. That it will win out. That's what psychological counseling is all about. At least for me. And I think most that do it have that same idea in mind. And hopefully it's more than just a thought. Maybe it's instinctually. The thought just gives you permission to do it. To talk about it in such terms as these. But I would hope that if you're in need, that knowing that we're professionals, knowing that there's ethical standards, knowing that there's sanctioning from licensure boards, knowing that there's vetting even from psychology today and the directory that is provided, that's not an endorsement. It just mean that, means that anyone that's in that directory has been licensure and is bound to those ethical constraints and legal constraints, that you'd feel comfortable at least reaching out to someone and knowing that that person, at least with the highest of intentions, noblest of aspirations, is not going to take advantage of you, is going to be genuinely a source of unconditional positive regard and affirmation, uh, love, more than just for the money, more than just because they have that sociopathic bent to try to manipulate and control, but that they really want to help. And even though that's a lesser extent, maybe when compared to laying down your life for another, I think it's noble, but it's not something that is exclusive to those folks in the directory or myself or anybody who does what I do for a living or would profess it. You can do the same thing. Just once you've received it, realize it's not just selfishly for you. There's going to be the request. And possibly for the sake of not becoming a meanie yourself or a bully or a terrorist. Exploiting other people, controlling, lying, stealing, killing, and destroying. That you have to live by that same credo. It's an integrity piece that I'm held to. Now, should you want to reach out to me, you can. 304-523-WORD, W-O-R-D, which is 9673, thewordhouse.com, www.thewordhouse.com. You can reach us also through drmdclay at thewordhouse.com. Uh, you can catch us on Facebook as well as on YouTube at The Word House. And, of course, you can always come back for our next edition of Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. And until we should get that chance to meet again, I want to wish you not only the best of health, but also good, sound mind health. Until then, thanks.